Let's pray together, church. Father, we praise you for being a God of grace and a God of glory. And we praise you, Father, for how you have made it possible for we who are your people to gaze, as it were, upon your glory in your word by, by looking to your word thinking deeply about your word, meditating upon it. God, you enable us to see your face. As Paul said to the Corinthians of the ministry that brought death, the law, which was engraved in letters on stones, but which also came with glory so that the Israelites weren't even able to look upon the face of your servant Moses who had gazed upon those words in your presence such that his face shone. Lord, now we who are your people may, as Paul says, with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory, being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Father, we ask that this would be true of us today as we sit in your presence. For where two or three are gathered, you are there. And your word, the living word, who dwells within us is here. God, would you increase the glory that we reflect and our capacity for that glory, God. Give us a, a new hunger this morning for the, the news, good news, that brings joy for all people. Father, we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, church, would you open them with me and find Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. Luke 2 and verse 1. As we move along in our study of the Advent season, we arrive today at the theme of joy. And if you were with us last week, we studied that of love as evidenced in a non-traditional, non-traditional at least as it pertains to, to Christmas text. We looked at John chapter 3, and the week prior, we examined the theme of hope as it was extended by the prophet Isaiah when reflecting on God's promises to King Ahaz, he spoke of the shoot that would come up from the stump of Jesse, the branch that would bear fruit where before, God's people faced nothing but death, destruction, and disappointment. Now, was promised hope and a future as God himself would provide a Savior in whom his spirit would rest, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And as Isaiah continued, he would delight in the fear of the Lord. Some 600 years later, this promised descendant of Jesse, a son of David, would stand before his hometown in their synagogue and declare these words fulfilled, an announcement of, of hope fulfilled, at which point you would expect the ensuing response to be one of what? Joy, right? Excitement. 
what would be the natural response of all those sharing a similar sentiment. Like Browns fans, if you're here this morning and you've been awaiting a Super Bowl victory. Or all the Reds fans who are looking forward to Liverpool's first title in over 30 years. Or for those of you who seem to care nothing for professional sports and team success. Birth of a grandson or daughter, perhaps. First, second, whatever. No hope fulfilled results in joy. Revealing the relationship, I believe, that exists between these two Advent themes. And not just these two alone. For as we saw last week, Christ's coming was because of God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave. And thus I believe that we can demonstrate the connection between these three Advent themes by saying this. Christ's birth marked God's love's fulfillment of his people's hope resulting in their joy. Or as I said before, the focus of our time together today as we look to this text, is going to be that joy. And so, your Bibles are open to Luke chapter 2. I invite you to follow along as I read the quintessential Christmas text. Luke writes, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to be registered with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds, living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard which were just as they had been told. And may God bless the public reading of his word. I would imagine this text is very familiar to us all this morning. As a family, we read Luke 2 each year on Christmas morning prior to 
giving each other our gifts so that we might remember both why we do, that is why we give those gifts, and then the heart that we ought to have as we receive what's been given. Now, does anybody else share similar Christmas traditions? So I, I figured. So we all know this story. So what I'd like us to do this morning is to spend the majority of our time looking closely at the two verses that I believe capture and convey joy's antithesis, sound, subject, song, and availability in order that we might most fully share in this sentiment this season. And not only in this sentiment in this season, obviously, but all year round. So first, let me point out the two verses, which should surprise no one. Verses 10 and 11. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And from these two verses, I'd like us now to first consider joy's antithesis. Joy's antithesis, or that which is the opposite of joy, and was addressed by the angel as he broke the silence of the night when he declared, do not be afraid. Sitting around a, a fire located on one of the hills or fields surrounding Bethlehem, these shepherds would have been quite accustomed to a life exposed to the elements. Hardy men who no doubt, like David before them, had regularly had to fend off predators like bears and lions. These dudes weren't homebodies. However, their prior heroics were no help when confronted by God's holy messenger. In fact, Luke tells us, verse 9, that when the angel of the Lord appeared to them and God's glory shone around them, they were terrified. And that's how our NIV reads. If you have the ESV, it offers they were filled with fear. While the NASB translation reads, they were terribly frightened. In the language of the New Testament, this expression is literally, they feared a great fear. Basically, I, what I believe Luke is describing here is something akin to what Matthew in his gospel related regarding the guards' reaction when the angels descended and rolled the stone back that they'd been sent to secure. In Matthew's words, recorded in chapter 28, verse 4, they were so afraid, it's that same word that Luke uses, they were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. Now, Luke, the doctor, doesn't provide the physical description of what the shepherd's fear looked like, but he certainly captures their sentiment. The sentiment that I'm convinced reveals the total opposite of that which the angel had come to proclaim. Because I believe that fear is the absence of joy. Fear is the absence of joy. And so right here, let me briefly clarify the fear that I'm defining as the antithesis of joy. Because there are lots of different forms of fear given in the scriptures, aren't there? For example, and if you were with us, we saw this when we examined Isaiah 11, where God's promised shoot, the prophet's promised shoot is described as being filled with the spirit of the knowledge of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight, Isaiah continues, in the fear of the Lord. Elsewhere in Scripture, Solomon tells us in his Proverbs, chapter 1 and verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so there's a fear marked by reverential awe, as was experienced by all who stood in God's presence. Like Moses, before the burning bush, 
or the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah in their visions, or all of the priests who ever entered the holy place. In these instances, the words of the angel here in our Lucan context would make no sense, no sense at all. So the only right response to God's holy presence is fear, right? And thus the exhortation to not be afraid clearly doesn't pertain to this expression of the sentiment. Rather, it's directed at that emotion completely devoid of joy. Where I'm defining joy as delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. For when one delights in the Lord, he or she, you will still be overcome by God's glory. But they will not be confronted by a feeling of complete hopelessness in the face of God's holiness. Because they know the one who has made them as he is, who is Christ the Lord. So what fear fills your heart this Christmas? And it may be that you find this question odd. It's such a festive, festive time, filled with year-end parties, family gatherings, and vacation. You don't even feel the need, you don't feel anything but possibly fatigue and maybe a little bit of happiness dabbled in. But I, I, would, I would argue that in the brief silence, Night provides, as you attempt to quiet your mind and close your eyes, there's a haunting emptiness that no festive season can satisfy. Now you can mute it for a while, and many do, with gifts and feasts and family and other things, but it'll be back. This is the fear that is the antithesis of joy. For in this fear, there's no delight in the Lord. There's no... No realization of all that he's done. There's no appreciation of joy's sound. The news that the divine messenger was dispatched to declare. I bring you good news of great joy. The sound of joy which the shepherds heard was the gospel. Which is the literal rendering of the angel's words as recorded there by Luke in verse 10. In the language of the New Testament, this, this verse, verse 10 reads, For behold, I am gospeling to you a great joy. Gospeling to you a great joy. Where that term rendered great in, in the language of the New Testament is megalon in Greek. It's the term from which we take in English our word mega. Mega. And so literally the angel's message brought mega joy. I love, I love that expression, mega joy. Is there a sound this morning that brings you joy or that could bring you joy? Voice of a loved one that you haven't seen in a while? Maybe son's home for the holidays, a daughter visiting with her family, grandkids running the house, squealing with delight, the crash of glass as they run into something lately. I don't know. What sounds... What sounds bring you joy? Now I imagine that we could all answer this question this morning. And for some, our response may be lighthearted. Like the words, you've been selected to receive a free paid vacation to Hawaii. That would be great. Or congratulations, Zignoni, you've got a raise. Right? Now for others, though, for others, it might be far more serious. Like the voice of my spouse, who passed away earlier this year. Oh, that would bring me joy if I could only hear those words. Or my father, 
He's laughed. I used to love to hear him laugh. Now he's gone. My friends, we all have sounds that lift our spirits and put a smile on our face, but there's only one sound that gives mega joy. And that's the gospel. Because in this glorious message, we find the answer to our deepest problem. And, and yes, our, and I mean by our, humanity's greatest problem is singular, our problem. Now sure, there's many expressions of this problem. There's many forms in which it reveals itself, but there's only one root, and it's sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We've turned our backs on God, rejecting His will, His, His word, and His way. Our world's state is a direct result of our sinful actions. Instead of living in perfect communion with the Creator, we attempted to throw Him out and rule alone. And with Him in whom life is removed, now death reigns. With the Prince of Peace exiled, discord, war rages. And with the God who is Love gone, hate and jealousy defines us. Our world is messed up. And while these short seasonal diversions in which we celebrate peace, hope, and, and love may distract us for a time, they represent, represent nothing more than a temporary ceasefire. And in fact, that's what we've come to champion at this season, isn't it? The ceasefire. Choosing to forget that the very next day all of those that we remember picked up their weapons and continued killing one another. There's, there's no sound that can cure humanity's ills but the gospel. Joy's sound. Have you heard it? And if you've been here at least once in the past, I can guarantee that you have. And if this is your first time, then let me introduce you to Joy's subject, who is Jesus, the Savior. Christ the Lord. Friends, Jesus is the gospel's subject. He's the one who does the coming. He's the one who does the obeying. He's the one who does the suffering. He's the one who does the dying. He's the one who does the rising again. And he's the one who will be coming back. So Jesus is the gospel's subject who came per, per his own words as recorded by Luke in chapter 19 verse 10. He came to seek and to save what was lost. Where lost refers here not to physical realities, but the spiritual resulting from our sin. As is clearly revealed in Matthew 1.21, where an angel informed Joseph that Mary was going to have a baby, conceived of the Holy Spirit, and that he, Joseph, was to name this child Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. The reason that Jesus was born was to save his people from sin. And that's why the angel informed the shepherds that today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And so the gospel subject, who is Jesus, is the Savior, which means that we all need saving, don't we? Now, I re recognize that because of pride, many people today reject Christ's saving work. And while there are few who would deny his historicity, there are many who reject his claims to divinity. And for this reason, they argue that, that Jesus serves humanity best, not as a savior or, or as a redeemer, but rather as a moral example. In essence, he was some really good dude who said some nice things about loving others and, and learning to get along. And therefore, the value of Christ's gospel, so defined, 
is in what it teaches us about improving human interaction. But church, that's, that's not the gospel's message per the scripture. Because Christ isn't just a great moral example. I mean, he is that, of course. But he is so much more. He's the Savior. And this means that he came to save us because we all need saving. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Where the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through who? The Apostle Paul tells us. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So is Jesus your Savior? By which I mean, have you personally owned up to your sin and need of saving? Not do you agree with me based, based upon what the Bible says that Jesus is Savior. Because even Satan shares that belief. And I'm talking about putting your hope for your salvation from your sin in your Savior, who is Jesus Christ. So is Jesus your Savior? Because Jesus is the Savior and He's the Christ, which was the New Testament's rendering of the Old Testament term for Messiah. And so what the angel was informing the shepherds that night on that hillside was the fact that this Savior, being born in Bethlehem, wasn't just another leader who would provide people with political freedom. He was the person prophesied from of old. In other words, His story was linked to the story, meaning the world's story in the most significant of ways because he's the subject so from as early as genesis three fifteen, god promised to defeat sin through the offspring of a woman this offspring this child would be a descendant of abraham through whom all nations would be blessed he would be of the house and line of david a king who would be ridiculed and rejected a prophet who would be misunderstood and abused a priest who would stand in his people's stead to offer the final sacrifice for sin only, he would be that sacrifice. The Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Do you know this Christ of Christmas? The Messiah from whom this most special of holidays gets its name? And sadly, I believe there are many today, both in the world but also in the church, who know the name they don't get the significance of why he came. And a short while ago, our family watched the Christmas film Star. And it's this cute animated rendering of the nativity story. Admittedly, some license has been taken, but it's still worth watching for entertainment's sake. And after we'd watched the film, we, we saw a brief commentary that was there provided. I think it was provided by the director. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but it was about how to make Christmas year-round. And it sounded promising, but sadly, the guy made no mention of what Jesus as Messiah came to do. He pointed out how, and rightfully so, he pointed out how God has a plan for our lives, that he desires we follow that plan and we rely on him so that we can succeed in life. He emphasized the importance of helping others and not fixating on what we want. He, he urged us to, to trust the Lord and to pursue our dreams because God promises to provide for all we need. And I don't disagree with any of that. But tragically, this individual never made mention of the very reason we have a Christmas at all. The coming of God's promised Savior, the Messiah, who would be like us in every way and therefore able to serve as our substitute. Jesus shared our full humanity flesh, will, and nature, but 
He was never stained by sin. And therefore, He took our place on the cross, bearing our deserved punishment for sin and died. He was buried for three days before He rose victorious over the grave. Why? Because He's Christ the Lord. Jesus didn't just share our full humanity. He also possessed full divinity. He was fully God and fully man. This, this is as one pastor theologian states, this is the wonder of the incarnation, the genius of the divine design. It will take a human death to undertake the death of humans, the death of an infinite person for the multitude of sinners. And so, the Son of God has taken our nature without losing His own identity. The Word has become flesh without ceasing to be the eternal word. He has come to our side without leaving the side of the Father. And in the glorious mystery of his incarnation, and through his life, death, resurrection, ascension, reign, and return in our flesh, the God-man has become and will forever remain our Savior. Do you know this Jesus who is God the Son incarnate? Church, may we be wary of any Christmas celebration, regardless of form, in which there's no mention of the cross. For this is the very reason that Christ came. And yes, there's a sweet innocence associated with the season as seen by a baby in a manger. And yes, there's much family fun encouraged as we gather together out of the cold to give gifts demonstrating our love for one another. But if we don't remember who this baby is and why he came, then what we're celebrating isn't Christmas. It's ourselves. Now, so far in our text, we've seen how fear is joy's antithesis, where the gospel is joy's Sound because joy's subject is Jesus who came to save sinners so they might sing joy's song. And I realize we, I said we'd only be focusing on verse 10 and 11, but we can't not comment on the glorious song that's sung in response to the angel's message, and it's recorded in verse 14. But first, I love. I love how John Piper explains the, the sudden appearance of this heavenly host or, or this choir. In his words, evidently, one angel can bring the news, but it doesn't suffice for one angel to respond to the news. The meaning of this news, the ultimate outcome of this news, that, that demands army an army of angels and church again doesn't this simply reinforce the point that we just made regarding joy's subject so there's no way that a simple birth narrative could command such an angelic choral response unless the babe in the manger was very god a very god in the words of chalcedon begotten the same, perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man of a reasonable soul and body, consubstantial with the Father according to the Godhead and consubstantial with us according to the manhood in all things like unto us without sin. 
begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead. And in these latter days for us and our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the mother of God according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusably, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son and only begotten God, the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning declared concerning Him and the Lord Jesus Christ Himself has taught us this. This is the babe who lay in the manger. Church, this is why hosts from heaven sang glory to God in the highest and on earth peace on whom his favor rests. Can you sing this song today? Does this song joy, does, it, does the joy it conveys ring in your heart? And does the peace that it describes fill your soul? And friends, I pray that if you don't know this song's joy, that you won't pretend to do so. For this would be infinitely worse, yet while still in the same vein, it'd be infinitely worse, but in the same vein as wrapping a bunch of empty boxes and then placing them under your tree to give the illusion that you've got a lot of gifts to open this Christmas when in fact the reality is you have absolutely nothing and you know it. Don't fake it because this joy is a joy that you can't generate. It can only be received by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Can you sing this song of joy or are you filled by joy's antithesis? Do you, do you know joy's sound? And I say no because we've all heard it this morning. The gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised according to the scriptures. We've all heard joy's sound. But do you know it? And can you sing it? And if this morning you're not sure, please know that you can. You can because this joy is available to all. All who will confess their sin, repent, and believe in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Because there's no tribe, there's, there's no people excluded from this joy. Because as the angel declared to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for who? All the people, not just some, all, meaning all God's chosen people, composed of both Jews and Gentiles, as Simeon would later state in verse 32 of this very same chapter, chapter 2, where after seeing Jesus in the temple with his parents, he looks, takes the baby in his arms, looks to heaven and praises God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. Why? For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. The joy, church, the joy of Christmas may be yours today. If, as Paul makes clear in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Because then you will be saved. Because it's with your heart that you believe and are justified and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Would you trust Christ this Christmas if you have not? He is the gift that started the whole season. And the tragedy is that so many never receive him. But then for us, Emmanuel, may we who know the season's reason speak of him to all who will listen. May Christ's joy be displayed on our countenance. May his hope fill our hearts. May his love direct our actions. And may we sing joy's song with the angels. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace to men and women on whom his favor rests. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you for your gift of love. Who is Jesus. And how this gift didn't remain in a manger. But traveled a long road to the cross. Where love was defined for us. As he took our sin upon himself and died in our place. Before rising on the third day. So that we who believe in him might have his life. Father, thank you for this purpose that began in Bethlehem. And Lord, may you help us this season and every season guard against so narrowly considering a holiday that we fail to remember the whole purpose for which it was given. May we not forget the cross. Father, for this is where the spiritual life begins and it's where it is played out, lived out. Father, we never grow beyond the cross and may we never try to. May we simply grow deeper in our understanding of this beautiful gospel that began that first night for those shepherds. Lord, and as we've heard this gospel this morning, if there are some maybe like the shepherds, who've heard it for the first time, but have never themselves gone to see and to kneel before the one who would one day be on a cross and before whom one day every knee will bow. Lord, if that would be that true for one today, then we pray you would make it so. For only you can. God, and for we who have been saved and who know joy's song, might we sing it. Father, even when hearts are hurting and there are many that are. We rest in the knowledge that the hope provided us by what Christ has come and done allows us to look to Him and to cling to Him with the knowledge that one day all that is around us, the sadness, the darkness, death, will be gone when Christ returns. Father, we pray you would help us look to that and hold on to that promised second arrival of our Savior, who is Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.